Hello and welcome to the very first Dyspraxia in Life podcast with me, Pete. We'll be talking about dyspraxia and life. See what I did there? It's nice and simple, but it's not. Dyspraxia is far from simple. It is something that is actually very, very complicated. It is a condition. I say that reservedly because... For all it is very, very real, people like to refer to it in different ways. Condition, difference, difficulty. Essentially, it's a neurological condition. Lifelong, most people are born with it, and you don't grow out of it. So let's picture someone throwing me a football. Tossing me a football towards my head. Okay? I, or my brain, has to make a very quick judgement call. And there's a a shed load of data and information. My brain has to compute for me to catch that ball. I've got to think about how fast the ball's coming at me. The direction. I've got to consider... Where I've got to move my arm, move my leg, where I've got to step back. That's a lot of... If you list all those things that the brain's got to do, or I've got to physically do, that's a lot of stuff. Now, with the mass majority of people, that's not an issue at all. They'll just step back and catch the ball. With a dyspraxic brain, it works differently. It's wired differently, which means somewhere along the line... Between my eyes seeing the ball and then sending that information to my brain and my brain trying to compute all this information and then throw it back to my arms, legs and body parts to do the action. Somewhere in that sit um somewhere in that process something goes a bit wrong. And as a result, dyspraxics work differently. Not worse, not better. Just differently. That's just the way the brain is set up. So the stereotype of dyspraxia is one of coordination. Because if you think about it, if someone is struggling with coordination, that's a very visible thing that you can observe and you can quickly identify that person is struggling to catch a ball or do various bits and pieces. Dyspraxia is a lot more than just coordination. Dyspraxia affects all manner of different things and some things that are much more important to daily life than coordination. When we look at coordination we're looking at short uh, we're looking at fine motor coordination. So that's the tiny delicate little movements so fine little fiddly delicate coordination so if you think about doing up buttons or doing up a zip or gripping a pencil so it's those tiny delicate little movements so for example handwriting can be an issue personally I struggle with buttons they're a bit fiddly for me 
And then there's gross motor, which are the bigger, bigger movements, not delicate movements, big movements. So if you think about swimming, big, big arm movements, or kicking a football, or running, moving your arms and your legs to run, the brain being different can affect those sorts of movements, that, that sort of coordination. So why am I doing this podcast? I'm doing this podcast because for a long, long time, dyspraxia has really been seen through the lens of the very passionate, very dedicated, very caring and responsible professional, who of course just want the best for dyspraxics, and also through the lens of parents of dyspraxic children, who again want the best for their children, and are concerned and all they want is their child to experience the best, most fulfilling, happy life they can, which is completely understandable. I'm coming at it from a view of an adult living with dyspraxia, and the experience of dyspraxia in adulthood has never really been touched in terms of research. So back in October of 2018, I launched a little website called Dyspraxia in Life magazine, which is written entirely by adult dyspraxics, talking about their experiences, their ups, their downs, their coping mechanisms, the things they find easy, the things they find hard, the experiences of just living life with dyspraxia. And my, the way I figured this out was I wanted something that would not define dyspraxia because you can't define dyspraxia really because every person is affected by it differently so you can't make any assumptions or stereotypes about dyspraxia and I thought by getting rather than have a list of traits and symptoms and a very plain bullet pointed list that you can just look up, look up and tick off as you go along as you go down the list you can tick it off I wanted to really show the experience, the emotional experience of what it's like to live with dyspraxia. And if I could get enough contributors to share their story, we could almost build a tapestry containing the experiences of what it's like to be dyspraxic. And of course, everyone's different. So my experience might not reflect someone else's. So if I have 25 contributors, there's a chance someone reading it will think, well, none of these people are sharing anything that relates to me. Well, that's quite possible. That's quite possible. But it's a start. It's a start, and it's important to realise that dyspraxia is lifelong. And if it affects someone in the school, it'll affect them in the workplace. It'll affect them when they graduate university. It'll affect them on their wedding day. It'll affect them when they become a grandparent. You know? So it'll always affect someone. And by only looking at dyspraxia in terms of the childhood experience, the educational experience, the attaining qualifications, that experience, we are ignoring a huge percentage of someone's life. If you think about it. So. That is why I'm doing this. 
and I really hope through these interviews that I'm going to do, people have an insight into what it's like. And it's one of those things, it's not all negative. There's some brilliantly wonderful positive traits that can come out of having a dyspraxic brain. And I really hope that these interviews will show the whole diverse, varied, beauty, reality. There will be sad stories, there will be uplifting stories. I hope that this podcast series can capture all of that and help people realise that dyspraxia is a condition that has been ignored for far, far too long. The fact is, if you're an adult with dyspraxia, and you went through childhood without it being acknowledged or supported because of the lack of awareness of dyspraxia and you've gone into adulthood without that diagnosis or that acknowledgement that dyspraxia is a thing you might have got to the age of 30 or 40 without ever hearing about dyspraxia and you want to go to the GP and ask for a diagnosis and they tell you that the NHS doesn't fund adult diagnosis and you have to go to a private company and pay hundreds, 300, up to a thousand, depending on where you go, to be diagnosed with something that you had since birth and something that you struggled with throughout childhood because it was unsupported and unacknowledged. And to me, that isn't, that's disgraceful, to be honest. That is disgraceful, there's no other word for it. And I really hope if this podcast series and if my Dyspraxia Life magazine can achieve anything, it's just to shine a light onto the real experiences of people. Thank you for listening. The the first interview I've done is going to be with Emma Lil Buck. That should be up online shortly. And thank you for listening. Just a few shout-outs to Mike Bale, who is the podcast production engineer to make it me sound as good as possible and also to Ryan Nolan who very kindly did us the theme music he's our composer they're both dyspraxic, I'm dyspraxic and hopefully this will be a very enlightening experience for me, you, the guests hopefully it will all be very interesting and positive thanks for listening and hopefully next week you'll listen to my first guest.